everybody. Welcome to the MM&M podcast. Uh, this is Larry Dobrow, MM&M's senior editor. I still can't say MM&M coherently, but thank you for listening nonetheless. Um, I'm here today with Sharon Callahan, who is both the CEO of TW- TBWA World Health, as well as the chief client officer of Omnicom Health Group. Um, we'll get to her in one minute, but before we do, um, a couple things to plug. Our June diversity issue will be out in about two weeks. Um, it's going to be one of our better reads, so please be on the lookout for that. And shortly thereafter, we have our MM&M Hall of Femme induction ceremony on June 6th. And uh, it's going to be a great program. We have some incredibly smart people and um, some incredibly cool people, too, who will be presenting and attending. So please uh, be on the lookout for both. So let's talk to us, Sharon. Um, I feel very fortunate I get to do this one. You know, uh, we've spoken many times. I've interviewed mm-hmm. you many times. And you're consistently one of the most articulate people about the issues that faces the business. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right. So yeah, I guess there, there are plenty of things we want to bug you about. But I think the first one I'd like to bring up is um, a recent honor that you received. Um, you were the Healthcare Business Women's Association Woman of the Year. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work with the organization and how that how it felt to be honored by a group that you know certainly is you know as high profile as it gets in the industry. Sure. Um, well, I was very surprised to be honored. Um, I've been involved as a member and a volunteer with the HBA for my entire career, mm-hmm. which is um, believe it or not, thirty five years I've been in the industry. And um, I was at the very first HBA Woman of the Year luncheon, which honored Karen Caton, who was president of Pfizer at the time. Um, I think over the years, the award has been given almost every time to a woman on the industry side. Mm -hmm. There's been a few agency people, Maureen Regan, Lynn Voss, but there hasn't been anyone from the agency side or the service side of our business in 15 years. So I was I was very, very surprised. I sort of felt like maybe that era was over because the HBAs really involved, evolved into a global organization. Um, I think there, there's something like 78 chapters. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite sure, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And primarily the membership has um, become women from pharmaceutical companies. Um, so anyway, I was very, very surprised and obviously very honored. Um, the, the balance, you know, that there are so many women from pharmaceutical companies that comprise the membership, but also certainly a big agency component of people that do this work, that work alongside those women. Um, is, it, is it a tiny bit out of whack or is it just the way that the organization's comprised? And you know, that's I think it. there's more of them. There's more. Mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. more women on, you know, that work in the pharmaceutical industry than in the communications side of our business. And, you know, frankly, we have a lot of women CEOs on our side of the business. There's, you know, virtually none, a few on that side of the business. And when you sort of look at the global issues that a lot of women face, they've, they've got it a lot harder. So... I can see why we need more role models that are living in that very kind of corporate world and corporate uh, lifestyle. Absolutely. Which kind of leads into the next natural question. Um, with our June issue coming up, you know, we're trying to talk more about diversity, but not just in the whole like, all right, two stories now and then we forget about it for the rest of the year type way. Um, give, give me sort of a state of the union 
for um, diversity in pharma, not just on the agency side, but also what you see, what you just addressed mm-hmm. on the corporate side. Um, I mean, are we getting better? Is diversity and inclusion a real priority or is it something that people kind of give lip service to and then move on to the next, you know, the next uh, item on the priority list? Well, if you look at some studies that have come out this year, there's a big one from Morgan yeah. Stanley. It's getting worse. There are less women in um, in C-suite level positions than ever before. It's it it was getting better for a while, but now it's really getting worse. And in, in this era, how how is it possible to take that U-turn? You know, I remember seeing that survey and thinking, you know, okay, it's on my phone. It's early in the morning. I'm reading this wrong. Yeah, I felt the same way, mm-hmm. and you know, I I'm not sure what the answer is. I will say that I think that the world we're living in right now is somewhat of an unkind place. And I think we've seen a lot of stuff happen, you know, starting with the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement. There still is a lot of sexism out there. And there, there's a lot of places that aren't really feeling safe for women. So I, I'm, I guess I was surprised, but not really surprised as you start to hear people's um, stories and what's going on. So I hate to think that that is part of the industry that we work in, but I think it's undeniable because it is not, the numbers in our industry aren't getting better either. You know, it's funny, you know, you, you mentioned it in that context. Um, one of the stories that we're doing in the June issue um, is a profile of Merck's chief diversity officer. Um, that might not be her exact title, but that's her role. Um, Celeste Warren, and she's incredibly smart and she's incredibly articulate. And, you know, we asked her kind of point blank, does pharma and healthcare have a diversity and inclusion problem? And she said, yes, but she also said there's a caveat. You know, there's a lot of things that apply to our industry in terms of regulations, in terms of very specific things that are only in healthcare and pharma that, you know, make change a little bit harder, no matter what kind of change it is. I'm certainly just paraphrasing here. Um, is, is that a fair assessment or is it like, well, every other industry has figured out a way to make it work. Why can't we? You know, I guess what came to mind when you just said that is, yeah, because in a pharmaceutical company, you need a lot of people with medical degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, more women graduate from medical school than men do. And that's been true for the last 10 years. So I think that's a little tough for me to justify it that way. I think just as many, if not more, women graduate from law school. So I don't think women have less advanced degrees than men. And certainly in a highly regulated industry, you need those kinds of specialists. you know, maybe in sort of the whole science, technology, and medicine area, there are less women and less women going into that field. But I think as we see more of a push, hopefully, from a lot of universities, that should even out. Um, I still don't understand, though, why we don't have more women in the C-suite. There are plenty of... Um, you know, CEOs of pharma companies who don't have any of those advanced degrees. You know, when you compile a list of, you know, the biggest pharma companies and, you know, you see who the individuals are in each of the C-suites. I mean, we didn't put the numbers together, but 
it's startling and frankly a little bit depressing, you know, given that this is an industry that wants to make people better, you know, and it's kind of limited to one type of person up in the C-suite. Well, I think, you know, I think that we're still, you know, we still have a hangover, Mm -hmm. you know, as people have worked their way up in the industry, certainly over my career, there, there weren't a lot of women in the pipeline. So hopefully we're we're fixing that now. And I know a lot of companies, especially Merck, has a great diversity and yes. inclusion initiative. Mm-hmm. So hopefully there will be more women pipeline to the C-suite. But, you know, when you think of what the pool is, it's just getting to that age mm-hmm. of people now. And, you know, there were virtually none when I was starting in my career. So... Um. T- tell me a little bit about your professional path. Um, you had mentioned earlier in the conversation that, you know, at the agency, you know, healthcare agencies, there are a lot of women leading agencies um, in not just CEO positions like yours, but in other mm-hmm. top roles. T- tell me a little bit about your path to where you are today and especially your joint role between, you know, the agency, T- TBWA, World Health, and um, the Omnicom Health Group. Well, I have not had a linear path. Mm-hmm. Um, I That's why I wanted to hit you with this. Sure. Course, right? <laughs> um, I started. Um, I started my career as a pharmaceutical sales rep, which I hated. I hated that job more than anything in the whole world at the time. You know, you it was all about you know sales trips and delivering pizzas to the <laughs> doctor's office and. Um, I will say, I and my dad worked in the pharmaceutical industry, and my mom was a nurse, so it just seemed like a good place to go, but I really didn't like it. So I only did it for about six months, and I was an English major in college, and I landed this great job in medical publishing. I didn't really want to work in medicine anymore, but it was... The job market was tight in the early 80s, and I really wanted to work in publishing or advertising. I couldn't get hired at an advertising agency. Kind of the heyday of the big ad firms. Exactly. And, um, and so I landed this job at a tiny little medical publishing company called SCP Communications, which was founded by Peter Frischoff, who's still my mentor today. He's also the founder of Medscape mm-hmm. and... Um, on the board of Crossix, he's he's legendary a real, name in yeah. medical publishing circles. So I was very lucky to work for him, and I worked there for fourteen years. Um, uh, the company changed and grew and became very successful. Uh, sold, kind of went into broke into pieces. Sold to different mm-hmm. various companies like WebMD bought Medscape yeah. at the time and. Um, uh, we acquired publishing companies, and so I I had an opportunity, kind of in the internet bubble in the late '90s, to go to work for a company called MedSite.com. It was three young guys who went to Wharton and basically created in their dorm room Amazon.com for doctors. They had come from medical families. So you could order everything on MedSite from tongue depressors and table paper to medical textbooks. And so they had this kind of growing, thriving business. Uh, They raised all this uh, venture money, and they hired me to think about how could we work with pharmaceutical companies. At the time, I don't know if you remember, they had peer influence group dinners. Yeah. 
where doctors would go and you could incentivize them. So the way companies started to incentivize them was MedSite gift certificates. Mm -hmm. So they could buy stuff for their office or books or whatever. And um, I did that uh, for a couple of years and it was really fun being in a startup in that young environment in the kind of beginning of um, the internet. And then uh, nine, it was a little before 9-11. Um, the company then started not doing so well. It was kind of the bubble burst on the internet. I mean, was, was it competition? Was it just that, you know, there was this very big ambitious idea that well, was sort of I hard mean, to affect? It was also that the market changed. They were really, um, they were rewarding revenue. Mm -hmm not profit. Ah. And then all of a sudden they started to reward profit. And that's, I learned a lot about business there because I was like, oh yeah, you can't, you know, make a tiny little margin on all this stuff you're giving away. So um, a friend of mine from SCP uh, asked me if I would like to start a business with her. And our idea was really to help companies publishing companies, advertising agencies, even pharmaceutical companies build websites. Nobody had a website. Mm -hmm. And so I started this company with her called Summit Gray. It was, I mean, literally, you know, our phone was ringing off the hook. I need a website. We built <laughs> websites for everybody. And with all freelance help, not that we really knew that much about it, but we'd worked at SCP, which started Medscape. But you we, knew what needed to be there. You knew the components, and you could translate that to the people that were you know, putting it together. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then we came across this technology. This is just a funny story called mm -hmm. HyperCD. Mm -hmm. And basically what it was was a CD-ROM. There was The Internet was all dial-up then. Yeah. And, you know, you'd hear all that crackling noise and whatever. So it was a CD-ROM. You could record like video on it but put it in your computer and the computer would take you to the internet but the video would play locally on the CD. Hmm. So it was a way to kind of drive people online. Hmm. And it worked for a couple of years but then of course the internet got fast yeah, and it was an obsolete yeah. product. Anyway, so we had fun. I guess we had the company for about three and a half years mm -hmm. and uh, sold it to Gray Healthcare Group. And that really, um, I ran a division of Gray called Summit Gray. And that was really my first job in advertising. And I went to, um, and I stayed at Gray for five years. I really enjoyed it. I ran the digital group, which became very big and pretty successful. And you know, sort of was on the management team of Gray Healthcare Group in its heyday, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got a call from Omnicom. Actually, Tom Harrison, who was the, the great Tom Harrison, the great Tom Harrison, who was the CEO of DOS, mm -hmm. the division that housed all the specialty healthcare agencies and med ed companies and everything. Um, and he said, "Yeah, would you like to have lunch? Would you like to talk?" And I did, and he offered me a job. I didn't really know what the job was, and I turned him down a couple of times. Nice. I, I was like, I don't really know what you want me to do. It was really like 
I need you to help our companies be more digital. And at that point, I had been um, promoted. I was the chief digital strategist at Gray Healthcare Group. I was doing a lot of digital stuff with WPP. And that was really my path. And finally, one day, I was like, yeah, I'm ready for something new. Mm -hmm. And I went to DOS, and uh, and I... I really worked in the corporate offices, working with all of our agencies, helping them to become more digital, whatever that means. And it meant something different at every agency, but helping them to meet their clients' needs. And when I was there, we got a call from Bayer, who wanted to consolidate their business across consumer, professional, agriculture. As opposed to 80 different places, each exactly. with four projects. Right? Exactly. So that was, at J&J had already happened, but Bayer was really one of the biggest mm-hmm. agency consolidations. So I worked on that team, and we won the business, and I was, um, I was the client lead on Bayer for all of their pharma business, which was pretty large, and we won a big chunk of that business. The problem was that I had two young children at the time, and I was in Germany every other week for the whole week, and it was getting, after about a year and a half, tough on my family. And I went to Tom and said, I need to do something else. And he goes, okay, well, you know, how long? And I said, you know, three to six months, but I need a different job. I need to be home, closer to home. And I think that was on a Wednesday, and on Friday... He called me and said, "Um, can you come down to my office? I said, sure. I went down. He goes, Monday, you're going to be CEO of LLNS. I was like, LL, that's an advertising agency. And he said, yeah. I said, I've never worked in an advertising agency, really. I run this digital group within Gray, but we did projects. We didn't do real advertising. I can't be CEO of an ad agency. (laughs) He was like, I'm sure you're going to be great at it. You got this. Yeah. So um, that my first job in real job in advertising, which is the what I always wanted to do, but didn't get a job out of college, mm-hmm. was as CEO of LLNS. You know, you promised nonlinear. That's that's nonlinear. It's but at n- the same time, you know, some of the what took you there are the skills that really I would imagine have come in very handy over the last, I guess it's what, about nine, 10 years now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, LLNS, yeah, it's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. And LLNS, um, we say we refounded Corbett and LLNS mm-hmm. three years ago as TBWA World Health. Mm-hmm. And um, I will say that's been a huge, huge success story. We're, uh, you know, we've tripled in size in the last three years. We were... Uh, uh, named Agency of the Year last month, and uh, we have a great thing going there. Thank you for not saying who named you Agency of Thank the Year. You're welcome. <laughs> Just as an aside, um, how, how strange is it to you that the Gray Health Group is is no longer? Is uh, is that kind of a weird thing? It's, I mean, you know, we cover it. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, some of these brands were really important brands mm-hmm. where people made their careers, and also where clients you know, felt a real affinity. I'll tell you a quick story. When I took over LLNS, they had renamed the agency a couple years before. I don't remember when, but they had renamed it Lionheart. And I got there. I was like, I don't know what LLNS 
uh, stood for Levy Lyons, Nickel Swift, all big names in advertising in our yeah, business. Probably three out of four in the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame, I yes. think, something like that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Actually, I think every one of them is. Oh, now. Yes. okay. And um, I knew Mike Lyons well. Um, I still know him well. He's the only, He and John Swift are still alive mm-hmm. um, because I was friendly with his wife, Emily. And so I was like, why'd they name it Lionheart? Because of Mike Lyons, but he wasn't affiliated with the agency anymore. I was like, I'm just going to go back to LLNS because I always liked that. I can't even tell you. So many clients were like, "Um, you know what? We haven't heard about LLNS for a while, but we're glad, you know, we're glad to be hearing about you. People didn't even realize the name had been changed. So I I think it's a shame when you lose those brands. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I'm sure there's a business reason behind it, but Gray Healthcare Group was a great brand Absolutely. and a great agency. Um, tell me a little bit about your joint role right now. You know, have you have the role at you know TBWA, but you're also you know one of the higher ups at um, the Omnicom Health Group. How, how challenging is it to balance the two? I mean, certainly everything is headed in the same direction, so you're not being asked to choose between right. one child or the other. But t- tell me a little bit about how you split your time, how you balance the priorities of both organizations. Um, I I spend about half my time in each place. Okay. So TBWA World Health, um, I would say I I create the vision, mm-hmm. working with uh, the two people who run it day to day, Robin Shapiro and Jonathan Isaacs. Mm-hmm. And um, my job is really to help them to be successful. And I would say I mentor them. I I really just help them navigate kind of the Omnicom system. Mm -hmm. Um, I obviously I'm like a figurehead for the agency. (laughs) I get involved in uh, new business. Um, I'm involved in, um, you know, some strategic things that we're doing as far as space and making the employees happy and things like that. Um, Omnicom health group is interesting. Um, Since we won that Bayer pitch, We've won every agency consolidation pitch that's happened um, since then. So we have seven major consolidated clients in Omnicom, big ones, Merck, Pfizer, Takeda, Teva. And um, my job there is with a pretty lean team. I think I have 12, 13 people. Mm -hmm. We look after those clients and... You know, I say my job there is to make sure every one of those clients is, every time I see them, they should be happier than than the last time I saw them. Mm-hmm. And so far, excuse me, it's worked really well. So um, it's, it's interesting sometimes because, you know, say someone calls us and says we want to pitch this new product. Uh, my team decides, you know, which agency we're going to put forth, who's the best qualified. So sometimes I have to make tough decisions, and um, it's a balancing act. But I think over the time that I've been doing this, which has been a long time at Omnicom, I think I've been there 12 years now, I've earned, you know, kind of the trust of people so they know I'm doing the right thing for the business overall, not just my own agency. Um, when you look at some of the changes, consolidation, whatever you want to call it, in the agency world over the last couple of years, you know whether it was setting up, you know, WPP Health and Wellness, and then pulling apart WPP Health and Wellness, um, you know, Havas Health and You, 
um, some of the smaller companies like InTouch becoming InTouch Group. What, what's your take? You know, Omnicom has been sort of stable as a lot of this other change has been going on. Um, you know, we thought a lot about it. Um, Omnicom Health Group was also formed a little yeah. under four years ago under Ed Wise, who had very successfully run CDM for many years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think originally people thought, oh, they're just going to make Omnicom Health Group one big CDM. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not what Ed vision was at all. I mean, I think he said specifically that wasn't his vision. He yeah. came out and, you know, kind of proclaimed it at the time. Exactly. It's, um, you know, we say we're independent minds brilliantly connected. Mm -hmm. And the idea really is that agency brands are important. People love working for different agency brands. Agency cultures are important. You know, TBWA World Health has the disruption methodology mm -hmm. from TBWA. We're connected to TBWA in a lot of ways, strategically and creatively. That's different than the experience you may get at another great agency like Harrison Star, mm -hmm. Biolumina, or CDM, or DDB Health, which is connected to DDB. So we feel that uh, people want to work for agency brands. And then the way that we bring those brands together on behalf of clients. So, you know, we, we work with, we have payer agencies, we have patient agencies, we have medical education and regulatory agencies. So we feel like um, the way we connect and collaborate for our clients is really our special sauce. So it's, you know, it's very different than kind of pushing everything together and, um, you know, I'm hoping everything's worked for the other way of doing it, but our way of doing it seems to be working pretty well. Um, you know, you're talking about connecting and collaborating. Um, I know one of the organizations you do a lot of work with is the Coalition for Healthcare Communications. Uh, tell me a little bit about your involvement there. And uh, obviously, there's been some big news that has been hitting the industry over the last, you know, the last uh, couple of years. Um, you know, with the HHS rule that came out last week, um, how the coalition is viewing it, what it's recommending to its members, and um, how, how that's going to go. So I've been involved with the coalition for many, many years as a member. Um, I just came off two years as the mm -hmm. chair of the coalition and um, the first woman chair of the mm -hmm. coalition. And um, it's a really important organization because it's our voice in Washington, and it's done some really great work over the years. I don't think people even realize it. But this new HHS legislation is just so ill-advised. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. You know, the coalition provided a lot of commentary in coordination with pharma, in coordination with the 4As. I'm also on the 4As yeah. Government Relations Committee. And, um, you know, basically saying, you know, that WAC pricing is not a good benchmark and that it, you know, actually could deter people from getting much needed care. By being clear, you're not being clear at all. Not at all, because wholesale acquisition cost is not the cost that you or I pay for mm -hmm. the drug. It doesn't take into account your insurance or anything else. I mean, the other piece is it only applies to TV. There's so many other ways that people get their information. Why just single out this one channel? 
And when you think of all the drugs that out there that promote themselves to consumers, TV's just one channel and every drug doesn't use TV. Yeah, I would say a majority of drugs do not use TV. Exactly. <laughs> it may not be appropriate. So, um, and pharma's come out and said the same thing. You know, there's been studies in the New England Journal of Medicine showing that it will deter people. So we're, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very, very disappointed. I think, you know, drug pricing is a big, big issue. It's the only issue that all of the candidates running for president in 2016 could agree on. And, you know, it's a common villain, and we're a common villain. And unfortunately, I think the pharmaceutical industry is defined by a few bad actors. And um, and nobody's really telling a different story. So unfortunately, this is not going to be great for the industry. How, how does the coalition go about telling the good story, telling the story that is, you know, 99% of the actors within you know, pharma and healthcare, as opposed to the Martin Shkreli's and the other ones who are now right. sort of the poster uh, children for everything that's going on? You know, so it's interesting. It's not really the coalition's job to yeah. tell the story. <laughs> it's pharma's job, mm -hmm. and it's the individual company's jobs. And we try to advise them on that. Um, one thing that we've told a lot of companies, and we've actually met with pharma, is we're storytellers, mm -hmm. and we're communications experts. And the way they're telling their story through facts and figures mm -hmm. is that, um, you know, we save so many lives. We do this. It's all numbers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, look what's happening in the world now. People just don't believe facts and figures yeah. are the truth. And you have to tell a different kind of more emotional story mm -hmm. and take a leadership role. But I think the industry is really nervous about that right now. And it's interesting in so many of the conversations that we have with marketers, agency marketers, in-house, everything else, the word that comes up most often in the types of communications that are needed to reverse this is empathy. And um, I'm not sure you see that in the end product yet. Um, I think everyone has touched on that rightfully as what it's going to take. But until it translates, it's still kind of, you know, largely hypothetical, I guess. Yeah. And... I mean, there are some really amazing stories out there. If you look at some of these, you know, emerging biotech companies mm -hmm. up in Boston, uh, one that comes to mind for me is Sarepta. Mm -hmm. You know, amazing story. Amazing story, changing the lives of kids with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. You know, I think they have four kids in trials now that are living normal lives, mm -hmm. playing in the backyard. You know, you see the stuff, it just makes you tear up. And and not enough of those stories are being told. And it costs money to develop those therapies and develop those drugs. And we don't want anyone to stop doing it. Yeah, I keep thinking that, you know, that campaign, you know, um, you know you're a parent, I'm a parent. Uh, why not start there? I mean, you know, again, right. it's not our call to make, but it seems such an obvious starting point. You almost want to... What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that's one company that I think is is telling right their story pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to move into the speed round here. Just a couple of quick questions, and thank you again for all the time that you've already provided. Sure. Uh, first one is your marketing role model. Who is your marketing role model? Wow, that's a really good question. Hmm. I'll, my marketing role model 
is not an obvious one, but I think it's Ken Frazier, the mm-hmm. CEO of Merck. He was so courageous in quitting the president's manufacturing council. And I think he took his company to a whole other level by doing that. And I don't think it was, I know that it wasn't a marketing move, but it was so authentic and so real um, that I, I just love that. He came across as the most principled guy in the room. Exactly. And I think he still does. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a halo effect on his company and the products that his company makes. Mm-hmm. Um, every day, what are the things that you read? What's the media that you peruse? Um, well, obviously, I read medical marketing and media <laughs> online every day. Um, I look at the first word when it comes out every morning. Yeah, that's great. Um, I read the New York Times every morning as well. And um, I mean, that's pretty much it. I do get a, a alert every morning. I'm, uh, I'm the vice chair of the LGBTQ Victory Fund, mm-hmm. which is the largest super PAC for LGBTQ candidates. Mm-hmm. So I read about our candidates every morning as well. Um, last one. You know, we talked a little bit about the agency world and about some of the maneuverings, everything that's going on. Um, what other agencies, um, the work that you look at and you see, hey, that's pretty good. Who are, who are the people you don't like seeing uh, on the other side of the table, even, <laughs> so to speak? Well, obviously, Area 23 is a formidable competitor. Yeah, they I come think. up a lot. Yeah. They come up a lot. They're mm-hmm. very, very talented. They do great work, great pro bono work. So, um, you know, we're always a little nervous when we come up against them. Mm-hmm. I think some of these newer... Um, startup agencies are really cool and are doing really, you know, interesting work. Mines and Assembly, Brick City Greenhouse. Um, you know, I love, I love, I was an entrepreneur myself, so I love to see, um, you know, people starting something and, and going with their passion. Um, but I think if I were any of those agencies right now, I'd be nervous about TBWA World Health. All right. <laughs> Way to bring it back around. Yeah. Right? Sharon, I can't thank you enough for being here today. This was a terrific talk. Um, one or two last plugs. Uh, our Hall of Femme event will be on June 6th. Get your tickets now. It's going to be terrific. And our June diversity issue will be out on the first of the month. Um, there should be some pretty amazing content in there as well. Sharon, thank you so much for being here today. And this is Larry Dobrow from the MMM podcast. And we'll catch you next time. Take care.